are going to jump right in. Uh, if you want, you can open up to Acts chapter 9. Um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to uh, tell the story. I'm not going to read it directly, but I'm going to tell the story uh, from Acts chapter 9. And then I'm going to draw essentially three fairly straightforward uh, truths from that chapter, uh, from Acts chapter 9. Um, this is what I'm hoping for for this series. Uh, as we jump into Acts, the story of, actually he starts out as Saul, uh, he changes his name to Paul, but there's a couple things I'm hoping to accomplish uh, through this series. Um, one is answering the question, what does it look like to join Jesus on his mission uh, in a world that is opposed to that mission, uh, that is antagonistic towards that mission? One of the themes of the story of the life of Paul uh, is adversity and persecution. Uh, as he brought a message to a world and a culture that was opposed to that message. Uh, the second thing is, what does it look like to grow and become the church uh, that Jesus intends us to be according to the design of Jesus? That was Paul's mission through his life was establishing local churches. And then the third thing is, uh, what does it look like to, to adjust and move forward when our good plans are thwarted by circumstances that are out of our control. It's actually one of the themes of Paul's ministry is that uh, they, there was a lot of ups and downs. There was a lot of adversity. There was persecution. There was suffering. He, he dealt with natural disasters even that, that sort of derailed what he had in mind for his plan and what God was calling him to do. And they made adjustments. He made adjustments. The people around him made adjustments to continue to stay on mission with Jesus. So that's what I'm hoping for as we work our way through this series. Uh, this morning, or I guess this evening, if you're here Saturday evening, uh, we're going to uh, introduce the character of Saul. And I'm going to tell you how we meet him. We actually met Saul very briefly uh, just earlier at the end of Acts chapter 7, when Stephen is stoned to death, it says that when Stephen was stoned to death, there was a man named Saul who was overseeing that uh, stoning, I guess. And uh, he's, he's mentioned, but he's not really introduced. And then we jump to Acts chapter 9. So here's the story. Saul was a Jew. He was a Hebrew. He was born in a, a city called Tarsus, uh, which is a little far removed from the main part of the story in our New Testament, Jerusalem area. He was probably from a somewhat wealthy family because he, we know that he had dual citizenship. Uh, he had Roman citizenship, and that was something that would have required some means uh, to come by. He also was trained under Gamaliel, uh, which always, for some reason, reminds me of a lizard. But uh, that was the name of the, uh, one of the religious scholar leaders of the day. We actually know him from the story of Jesus' crucifixion. He weighed in a few times in that story. Well, this is who Paul trained under, and he grew up 
very, very zealous, very, uh, for lack of a better word, very intense uh, in his in his pursuit of what he believed uh, was right. So where we find Saul in Acts chapter 9, Saul, Saul is actually going to fill in some details for us. If you were to jump forward to Acts 22 and 26, Saul retells the story of Acts chapter 29. So as I tell this story, I'm going to be drawing a little bit from there, but this is what we know. Saul says, this is of his own description, his own admission. He says that he was, he was so enraged by those who would dare to stand up to the high priests who sort of represented the, the political slash religious social structure of the day. He was so enraged by them that he found great joy in imprisoning them and voting to have them uh, receive the death penalty and Paul says, or Saul says, that during this time, he was so motivated to, to shut this movement down, they called it the way, the people who followed Jesus, that he was traveling up to a couple hundred miles away from Jerusalem into outlying areas and cities just to track down Christians and have them killed. That's how intense he was about his mission. So in Acts chapter 9, what he did in Jerusalem is he consulted with the high priests. He secured uh, some letters, basically some legal authorization to, uh, take, to capture, to take captive Christians wherever he found them. And he took these letters and took a trip to Damascus, which is about a 150-mile trip, meaning he uh, took a, probably a four-day, five-day trip to Damascus for the sole purpose of hunting down those who called themselves followers of the way, followers of Jesus, uh, taking them captive and returning them to Jerusalem to stand trial and face the death penalty. So Paul is on his way to Damascus with his cohort. He would, of course, brought his own posse to have uh, the Christians arrested with, uh, by force. And so he is on his way. He's traveling to the city of Damascus. And it says that as they were walking along the trail, they were near Damascus. And we find out a couple of details later in Paul's or Saul's retelling of this story. We know that it was in the middle of the day. So during the middle of the day, him and his cohort of men are walking down the road. They're approaching Damascus. And it says that a very bright light shone around them. In fact, a blinding light shone around them. And everyone who was with Paul sort of fell to the ground because of this bright light. And then we know that there was also a loud voice that spoke to Paul or to Saul. Uh, I'm going to mess that up a few more times. Paul, Saul, same person. So as you're tracking along, just know that I'm talking about the same person. Uh, but we know from Saul's retelling later in Acts 26 that the men who were around him didn't actually understand the voice. Only Saul understood the voice. And the voice speaks from heaven and asks Saul a question. It says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul asks a very important question. Who are you? And the voice responds, I am Jesus, the one that you are persecuting. 
And then he says, I want you to go into the city. So, uh, oh, oh, there's one other statement. I can't leave this out. There's one other statement uh, that I love. Uh, and again, this is picked up from the later retelling of these events. Saul says that, that Jesus said to him, are you basically, are you weary of kicking against the goads? The goads are the things that, uh, that uh, when you would hook, when you would yoke cattle to, or donkeys to plow a field, you would put a bar down behind their, their back feet with something sharp on that bar so that if they tried to kick and kind of get out of control, they would hit that and it would be painful. And it would tell them, you don't want to, you don't want to cause a fuss. The voice, Jesus' voice says to, to Saul, are you tired of kicking against the goads? Meaning, are you tired of doing things that are actually just bringing greater pain and suffering on your own life? So Saul heads into the city and is uh, uh, put up in a, in a man's house there in the city. And it says that he was, he was there in that home for three days and that he didn't uh, eat or drink anything during those three days. Another important detail is that he was left blind from this bright light. So he's there, he cannot see. It says his eyes were open, but he couldn't see anything. He, uh, for whatever reason, is unable to eat or drink anything for three days. And then after three days, the, the Lord speaks to a man from the city uh, of Damascus, a man by the name of Ananias. And the Lord says to Ananias, he says, Ananias, I have uh, an assignment for you. I want you to go down to uh, Straight Street. And uh, on Straight Street, there's a man by the name of Judas. He has a home there. And in the home of J Judas is a man by the name of Saul. And I need you to go down there and speak to Saul on my behalf and pray for him. Also, you should know that I already told Saul that you were coming. <laughs> because, of course, immediately Ananias says, um, I've, I've heard about Saul, and I'm pretty sure that Saul is here to put to death people like me who follow you. <clears throat> the Lord says, no, I understand. However, and this is, this is a critical part of the story, the Lord says to Ananias, I have chosen Saul for my purposes. I have chosen Saul for my mission. And I'm going to use Saul to take my message both to the Jews and then beyond the Jews to the Gentiles. In fact, I'm going to use Saul to preach my message to kings of Gentiles. And so Ananias says, okay, uh, I'll go. So he goes down there, lays hands on Saul. He prays for him. Scales come off of his eyes. He regains his sight. <clears throat> what happens then should be sort of an indicator of, of how this story is going to go. What happens then is that Saul, Saul goes down to the synagogue and immediately starts preaching the message of Jesus and defending 
the message of Jesus using the same scriptures that he had used to persecute the followers of Jesus. And it says that he was immediately confounding other religious leaders by showing them from the Old Testament, from the Law and the Prophets, that Jesus was who he said he was, and he is talked about all through the Old Testament. So, that is the uh, somewhat dramatic story of the conversion of Saul. I don't know what your conversion looked like. Mine did not look like blinding lights and loud voices from heaven. Uh, mine was a much quieter event. <clears throat> Through this story, there are, uh, I want to make just three observations. Um, that, uh, that really matter to us right now. The first observation is this, and this is a critical one, and this is actually a difficult one. Here's the observation. Jesus receives our actions and attitudes towards the church as directed at him personally. Jesus receives our actions and our attitudes toward the church as directed at him. In verse 4 and 5 of chapter 9, when Jesus speaks from heaven to Saul, what does he say? Why are you persecuting me, right? And then Saul says, wait, who are you? And the voice says, I'm Jesus, the one that you're persecuting. In the message to Saul from Jesus, from the, from the resurrected Christ, there's no differentiation between Saul's actions towards the church and Saul's actions towards Jesus personally. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians 12, 27 now you are, you collectively, the church, you watching this and the rest of us, you are, y'all are, we are Christ's body, and we are individually members of it. Ephesians 5, 29 and 30, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but he nourishes it, he cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church because we are members of his body. So we know through other portions of Scripture, in fact, these are also Paul's writings, that we, the church, are the physical presence of Jesus on the earth. We are the hands and the feet and the mouth of Jesus, the body of Jesus on the earth. What we glimpse in this story is how complete Jesus regards that union to be. He says, why are you persecuting me? Wait, who are you? I'm Jesus, the one that you're persecuting. Jesus receives our actions and attitudes towards the church as directed at him personally. Why are you persecuting me? It's not difficult to find people who condemn the church, who stand as judge over the church. And Jesus would say, why do you condemn me? It's not difficult to find those who refuse fellowship with the church. And Jesus would say, 
why do you refuse fellowship with me? For the person who, who believes but refuses to, to serve and be generous within the context of the church, Jesus says, why do you live selfishly towards me? I've always thought it would be so much easier to be generous if we could physically take our generosity and directly hand it over to Jesus. But we are afforded no such assurance. We're generous within the context of the church. We serve within the context of the church. But on the flip side of that, Jesus would say the same to the positive, to those who are gracious within the context of the church, to believers. He would say, thank you for being gracious to me. To those who humbly serve, he would say, thank you for humbly serving me. To those who give, thank you for giving to me. Jesus receives our actions and attitudes towards the church as directed at him personally. He tells Ananias in regards to Saul, he says, I'm going to show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. Paul was actually going to suffer because of his work in planting churches and establishing churches. And, and Jesus says, the resurrected Christ says to Ananias, he's going to suffer for me as he suffers to establish my church. So that's the first thing. Jesus receives our actions and attitudes towards the church as directed at him. The second thing, the advancement of God's kingdom on the earth through the church will not be stopped. Saul was arguably one of the most significant threats to the early growth of the church in these very early stages. There was no one, well, likely no one as motivated, as hostile, as murderous. In fact, it starts out, uh, chapter 9 says that Saul was still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of Jesus. He was breathing. That was his oxygen, threats and murder. And Jesus says, I think I could use that really nicely to accomplish my purposes. <laughs> The advancement of God's kingdom on the earth through the church will not be stopped. Many of you will remember Daniel chapter 2, the vision of the statue, right? The gold and the silver and the bronze and the clay and the iron, all of these different kingdoms of man throughout history. And how does that story end? There is a stone cut from the mountain without human hands. And that stone rolls down the mountain, it lays waste to those kingdoms, it demolishes them, it obliterates them to dust, and then you remember what happens to the stone? It grows, that's right. It grows and turns into a mountain, and that mountain covers the entire earth. And Daniel says to Nebuchadnezzar, this is a thousand years previous, Daniel says to Nebuchadnezzar, there is going to be a kingdom of God 
that is going to surpass all of the kingdoms of men, and it will eventually encompass the entire earth. That is coming. That is a future reality. This is the, this is the theme of many of the parables of Jesus regarding uh, the kingdom of God. Matthew 13, the, the, the parable of the mustard seed, he said it starts out as the smallest seed. It's the, the son of a carpenter in a, in a no-name town, in a no-name country, somewhere in the Middle East. And yet that seed grows into a great tree that covers the whole garden. He says it's like leaven that you put a little bit in the lump of dough, but eventually that leaven makes its way through all of the dough, starting small and then eventually uh, filling all. Saul's life and his conversion are evidence that the advancement of God's kingdom on the earth through the church will not be stopped. When God decides that a homicidal maniac is useful to his purposes, he is a very persuasive recruiter. And that's number three, third observation. Jesus is willing to partner with former homicidal maniacs. Jesus is willing to partner with any of us that are willing to partner with him, regardless of our past, regardless of our shortcomings, uh, regardless of, of, of a lifetime of sin and even aggression towards him. There's an invitation that's, that, that is before us today to join with him. Listen to Paul speaking much later, 1 Corinthians 15, 9. This is Paul speaking. He says, I'm the least of the apostles and not fit to even be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. In 1 Timothy, he's actually sharing with Timothy, who was his disciple, a pastor, friend of his, that he had, that he had instructed and taught towards maturity, and now Timothy is leading his own church. Paul says to him, I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor, and yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And then he says, and the grace of our Lord was more than abundant with the faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus. The grace of our Lord was more than abundant. Paul says, my life disqualified me, and the grace of God qualified me to not only join with him now in his mission now, but to join with him now in his mission now towards a reward that is eternal, that is everlasting. And that's the invitation to us right now. In the context of everything that's going on right now, everything that has been different, everything that's changed, in the context of all of the uncertainty, you are invited right now in this community, in Homer, Alaska, to join with Jesus in his mission. Regardless of your past, you are qualified by his grace when you say yes to him. 
Some of you right now are wrestling with even very recent failings, recent struggles, recent shortcomings that in your mind disqualify you. Paul says, yeah, I was breathing threats and murder, and I was qualified by the grace of God who reached out his hand and rescued me from my unbelief. And I'll end with this. Some of you are called to go beyond our community. Qualified by the grace of God. Some of you are called to do what Saul was called to do. Jesus says, I'm going to show him what I have planned for him. He's going to take my message and travel even much further than he traveled as a persecutor. He's going to travel as a witness. <clears throat> Some of you are being called to go to leave our community, to go out into the world, a world that is hurting and broken, a world that is gripped by darkness, to represent him. And if you look at your own past and decide based on your past whether you're qualified or not for that call, the answer is always no. And if you look to the grace of Christ who qualifies us, by his love for us, the love which is found in Jesus, then we are qualified. We are called and we are qualified to join with him. God, we ask that uh, whatever it is that you are calling us to, um, where you have placed us to be a witness, God, that you would give us confidence in that. Give us boldness in that. Help us to speak truth with grace. I pray that our confidence would not be in our own strength, but our confidence would be uh, in you, knowing that your grace is perfected in our weakness, your strength is perfected in our weakness. And God, even right now, as there has been across our country, and certainly locally, there is a resurgence of, of awareness and interest in matters of faith. God, would you lead us into divine appointments where we can, we can share about you and your goodness with others? We want to be a part of the unstoppable advancement of your kingdom as you establish your church. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.